Welcome to Serious Faith, a podcast exploring the gospel story by story to discover the way of Jesus. All right, welcome back to Serious Faith. Uh, we, can you believe it, we are finally out of the book, or out of, we're not out of the book of John, we're still in John, guys, uh, but we are out of chapter 18. We have been in chapter 18 for so long, uh, and so we are finally bridging in to chapter 19. We're getting closer and closer to the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, in fact, the crucifixion, it looks like, is in two weeks. Um, but first, we've got to finish the trials of Jesus, all right? So just as a reminder where we've been here, Jesus gets brought before the authorities. He kind of gets passed around a little bit. Nobody has any solid charges against him. So he's now before Pilate. Pilate questioned Jesus. Uh, then he brought him back out. He says, you know, I don't see anything going on here. And then, of course, they release Barabbas instead, which was last week. So this week, chapter 19 of John, we're going verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. And so we've gone through the background, and here's what this week's verses say. Then Pilate had Jesus taken and whipped. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and dressed him in a purple robe. Over and over they went up to him and said, Greetings, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Pilate came out of the palace again and said to the Jewish leaders, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no grounds for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, Here's the man. When the chief priests and their deputies saw him, they shouted out, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate told them, You take him and crucify him. I don't find any grounds for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders replied, We have a law, and according to this law he ought to die because he made himself out to be God's son. All right. So, Jesus is now at the physical beatings portion uh, of, his, of his time. Uh, he's been questioned, he's been passed around, and now he's being beaten. Now, it's, it, it is interesting here because it says that Pilate had Jesus taken and whipped. And generally speaking, uh, if you were getting whipped uh, in Jewish culture, it was, sort of, it was sort of presumed that you're guilty, right? Like, they're not going to punish somebody that they don't think is guilty. Like, there's some sort of guilty uh, guilt going on here for them in order for Pilate to say, let's go whip this guy. But you also see his soldiers going way further, right? So Pilate, it says, just had uh, had Jesus taken and whipped, like right. So they whipped him. But but then you see his soldiers, and his soldiers are going even further. It says they twist together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and they dress him in a purple robe. Purple being the color of uh, royalty. And over and over they went up to him, saying, "Greetings, King of the Jews," and they slap him in the face. So the soldiers are having a little fun with this guy that Pilate you know, clearly was not convinced was a problem. Like, he was not convinced that Jesus was guilty of anything chargeable by his standards. And so, so Pilate hands him over, but the soldiers have much less mercy. And, and if you read about the stories about Roman soldiers, uh, you'll see that this is pretty much on par for what we find um, throughout history when you talk about Rome and their soldiers. There's a lot of, um, dare I even say, depravity um, amongst amongst the Roman soldiers, and and so it's it's pretty on par for them that they would take and not just mock him but beat him, and the mocking you know of course is they're they're saying oh king of the Jews you know oh yeah of course he is so they put him in purple and they give him a a, a crown you know, and and they're clearly meaning this to be demeaning and mocking, 
But it is kind of funny, like the irony in this, which is that, like, of course, we know that Jesus is the King of Kings. <laughs> he is the Lord of Lords. Like, he is above all of this this stuff. Like, he's in charge, right? So the irony of that is 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 unmistakable. Um, so it is kind of amusing. Uh, but the soldiers take him; they beat him, and then, of course, Pilate brings him out, and he says, "He says, look." He says again to the people, "I don't have any reason. I can't find anything." I, I can't find any charge against him. Like, wh- here he is. Look, like, and the people, they're, they're just worked up at this point. And they're saying, crucify him, crucify, you know, get rid of this guy. And Pilate basically tries to pass him off again. He says, you take him. You do that. You want him crucified, you go crucify him. I don't have any grounds for charges against him. And interestingly, interestingly, the Jewish leaders here do not apply, do not... Um, they don't make him out to to any sort of civil um, any sort of civil laws. They mention their own laws, right? They said, "We have a law, and according to this law, he ought to die, because he made himself out to be God's son." Now, to be fair, technically they're right, right? Technically, their law says that, um, that what Jesus is doing is essentially blasphemy. Is what they're accusing him of. They're accusing him of blasphemy, which, to be honest, is more bold than they've done so far. Because in the past, when people have asked, you know, what is it that you uh, that he's done, and they didn't have an answer. Well, yeah, and then they didn't have an answer, <laughs> right? So this is what they do all the time, all the time. So, so what do we make of this, right? The Jews are finally have an answer, and and I think there's a lot of things I, that come to my mind as I read through this. First of all, what comes to mind is the mockery that Jesus endures from the Romans. Right from the Roman side, he is mocked, and they're like, "Oh, King of the Jews! That's what he thinks he is." Right? It's almost like they think he's he's clinically insane. Right? He's like, he thinks he's a king, and he's just a guy getting beat up by some soldiers. Right? And so they mock him. But I also think there's a mocking here from the chief priests and their deputies as well. Right? Because if if they actually knew who he was, they wouldn't have been shouting crucify. If they actually knew what Jesus had set out to do and who he was, right? If they had known, they wouldn't have done this, and yet they mock him. It's, it's, it's almost like they're, they mock him because they say, well, he's saying he's God's son, and that cannot be true. That just cannot be. And it's interesting because just, just last week, um, Randy preached a great message um, on his last Sunday here at, uh, at First UMC in the Life Center. Preached a great message on on listening for God and, uh, and how Saul, you know, thought he was doing what was right. Saul thought he was within the will of God. He thought he was doing the good things, the right things. And yet he was so far from right, so far, so far from good. And God corrected him, right? And what's interesting here is that God really does not correct these guys. And, and part of that is obviously we know Jesus has to go to the cross. Jesus has got to be crucified because that's part of, of how he goes. And it's, it's our forgiveness of our sins is based on that crucifixion. And so, so he has to do this, but God does not intervene here. And I wonder sometimes in our own lives, you know, Randy talked about when, when God sometimes can intervene. And God intervening means give, having mercy on someone. And in Saul's story, we don't see a lot of times, we don't see being blinded or knocked to the ground as an act of mercy but what God could have done instead, in comparison to what he could have done and really should have done, based on Paul's actions, I mean, Paul is trying to thwart the actions of God. God could have easily just smited him. 
I mean, let's be honest. If we're God and Paul's coming up against us, or Saul's coming up against us in this way, he's murdering our followers, we're smiting him. There's no act about it. And yet God has mercy. Instead, God calls out to Saul and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And in this story, there's so little mercy coming from the chief priests and their deputies. Right? It's crucify him, crucify him. We don't believe he's actually the son of God. Get rid of this guy. He's breaking our laws. Kill him. There's no mercy in what they're doing. But there's also, we also don't see them turn. We don't get the other half of the story like we do with Saul, where we get to see, like, oh, Saul becomes Paul. Right? Saul becomes something better. His life has changed. So when does that come? And so I wonder sometimes in our own lives if, if we've never had those moments, right? Because we, a lot of us have never had the knockdown moment that, that Saul had. We're more like the chief priests in that we mock the things that God is doing and, and we say, well, that can't be God and that can't happen. God surely doesn't work this way. He wouldn't want to do that, right? I, I heard this a lot um, when I served for a while on the operations team um, for the Northeast District. And... Um, you know, I would hear this from churches, especially smaller churches that were sort of, I would say, were on the brink of closing. And they said, well, surely God, God's will is not that a church would close, you know. And I thought to myself, you know, at, at some level, in the ideal world, you're right, churches wouldn't close. They'd all be exploding with growth, and, and they would be doing fruitful ministry. But in the real world, that doesn't happen. Churches become ineffective. We, we start focusing on things that aren't even remotely close to being what our mission is, or specifically the mission of God for our church, the mission of Jesus the heart of God. And when we get away from those things, often closing is the best thing that can happen for the kingdom. Because there's one less, one less church doing nothing, just existing just to exist in, out there and to confuse people with the true church that is trying to win souls and, and change people's lives, provide for people. So I wonder sometimes in our own lives, you know, I don't think God has done a lot of this in our lives. And maybe some of you have had the experience where God has knocked you down a peg or two but most of us haven't, right? So we continue on believing that everything that we do and say we believe is the will of God. And, and um, it's funny sometimes how much the will of God lines up with our own. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? It, you know, surely this is what God wants because that's what I want. And, and, and we've, decide, we've, we've started recently doing that even kind of with truth. It's like, well, this is what I believe to be true, so it must be true. And, and let me tell you right now, the things that I believe, I, I, uh, I love John Wesley's approach uh, when he says that you might be wrong. Uh, Wesley believed in Christian conferencing guidelines that you should approach every topic as if you might be wrong. There's humility in that. And admitting that, you know, maybe maybe I don't understand the will of God. Maybe I don't know what's next. <laughs> and that's really been on my heart ever since Randy preached that last week. I, this is a week and a half of contemplation and consideration of this. Um, you know, the chief priests, much like Saul, thought they were within the will of God. And Pilate, I, I got to give credit to Pilate, honestly, in this story, because Pilate's trying hard not to be that. <laughs> like, he keeps saying, there's nothing, I got nothing here. Now, Pilate may not be out to please God. That may not be, it probably is not his purpose, right? But Pilate at least is honest enough to say, look, this is at least a gray area, right? At a minimum, Jesus being guilty of something is a gray area. But the chief priest, man, they're convinced. They're convinced that he is a bad apple, that he is ruining their lives, that he's ruining the life of, of, of God's will, and, and he needs to be taken care of. So I challenge you, because you've had, you know, especially if you attended our services uh, a week and a half ago, 
I challenge you to consider again that story of Saul and, and even the story of uh, Peter that we talked about this last Sunday. Consider whether you are actually open to hearing what God has to say or if you've already made up your mind before you talk to him. Have I already decided that I know what God wants and I'm so convinced of it that I'm not going to hear anything else? Or am I open to the, what God is doing, even if it means doing something that, I'm, that isn't comfortable for me, that's completely out of my box, right? Consider that again this week as we look at these chief priests who yell, crucify, crucify. Consider it and I'll see you next week.